going to borrow from a book today, richly from it's called Deliverance by John Thompson. So it's again, it's an incredible book if you've never read it. It's called Deliverance by John Thompson. I encourage it wholeheartedly, whether you're here or online. It's a great book, and particularly in the introduction, I'm going to borrow from his book. So give credit where credit is due. Okay, two Sundays ago, two Sundays ago, I stood up here. If you don't think spiritual conflict is real, listen to this story. This is a bit of a joke setup, so get ready to laugh. Just, you know, hit your funny bone here. Two Sundays ago, I got up here, and I, I proudly, I proudly declared that I'd lost some weight, okay? I proudly declared, and truthfully, the, the, the second service, they really cheered and affirmed me. But the first service, you know, wasn't you, but there was other people here in the first service, and they just looked at me like, well, good for you. And it was just, it was, anyways, but it was fine. I felt good about myself. Well, after that second service, we drove to St. Catherine's. Um, so we drove up the lovely 401. What a beautiful picturesque drive that 401 is. So we drove up the 401 looking at the mountains and the lakes and the rivers. And, oh, it was spectacularly beautiful, especially when you come into Toronto and you see nothing but other vehicles. It was just a gorgeous drive, just relaxing, no stress at all. I tell you where COVID is spreading. It's spreading at every single en route. That's where it's spreading. I'm telling you right now, but that's another issue. So we drove to St. Catharines and uh, we stayed at Lori's parents. They, they were so gracious to let us stay at their home. So gracious. And, and uh, Lori was already in the double bed, and I proceeded to get in bed. And so I just kneeled on the bed, and Fatty broke the whole frame. <laughs> I mean, the frame separated, the wood slats broke, the whole mattress fell right to the ground, but like half this way. I felt so good about myself in the morning, and then Fatty broke the entire bed, came crashing down, put a hole in the wall. This isn't, I'm not like stretching it, this happened. Lori and I laughed our head off, like just laughed and laughed and laughed. And then it wasn't funny because we slept like this for the rest of the night. So every time, like in the middle of the night, I'd roll a little bit, I'd roll like woo woo, right into Lori, and she appreciated it greatly. Okay, let's dive in. You know, from a, that's just, ha ha ha. Uh, from a day-to-day kind of boots-on-the-ground level perspective, what we want to look at today in our Spiritual Conflict series is uh, how does the demonic activate? How does it attack our lives? Well, we know that it is always attacking our faith and trust in Jesus, always trying to sow doubt where there can be faith and security in Christ. Uh, the enemy's always attacking the truth of God's word, and it always tempts us with unholy power. So it tempts us to take rather than to serve and to give. And what these attacks look like, I'm going to describe in a few moments, but whenever Jesus spoke about the demonic, or oftentimes I should say, when Jesus spoke about the demonic, he would use the metaphor of a house, because every house has a doorway. Now, some of your homes have two doorways or three doorways, like a back or a side or a front, but every house has some form of an entrance, some form of way to get in and get out. And so Jesus used this oftentimes as an example of what our lives look like, but where the enemy attacks from, from a doorway. And there's five, five prominent doorways that you can see the demonic engage our hearts and lives with And the first, of course, would be anything in the occult. Uh, There are real powers. Don't mess around with horoscopes and things of those nature, tarot cards. There are is unholy power attached to all of these things. You know, you may want to know your future, but again, there is lies, there's deception, there's unholy power that really engages these things. So there's the occult, there's false and uh, fake religions. 
false religions, false faith, false faith, that's really hard for me to say, false religions is another way in which the enemy attacks our hearts and lives. Siobhan shared beautifully, didn't she share incredibly this morning, her vulnerable testimony and story? But she shared really about her experience in this exact area. But of course, you know, sexuality outside of marriage is another area that the enemy attacks again and again and again. Uh, again, it doesn't really matter whether this is heterosexual or same-sex attraction, whether it's sex outside of marriage. This is a place that the enemy can engage our hearts from. Trauma is another area where the enemy can have an open door into our lives. I want to be really gentle here, obviously, but understand that just as it is in sort of warfare, if you think about it, a wounded soldier is vulnerable in different ways. The enemy doesn't fight fair. His disposition towards you is never kind. It is never loving, and it's never for your benefit. And so, again, these are things that we need to understand. And lastly, of course, is habitual sin. Now, how many of you know there's difference between struggling and desiring freedom and another thing in just totally giving up whatsoever and giving yourself to something? And so I'm describing a little bit of difference there. But those are the five prominent doorways. So now let's dig in and see what Jesus has to say. He says, on one instance, well, on one instance Jesus heals a man who is demonized. And the Pharisees say that Jesus is doing this by the power of Satan. How many know that's quite a bold claim? <laughs> Jesus heals someone and the Pharisees say, actually, you're doing this by the power of Satan. And that's quite a claim to say to the Son of God. And Jesus responds to them by saying this in Mark chapter 3, verses 24 to 27. Once again, he's going to use the, the illustration of a house. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house or a powerful man's house. That's a good interpretation for it there. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then he can plunder his house. In other words, think about it in a modern way. Uh, nobody can break into your home unless they bypass your security system. If they bypass your security system and get into your home, then they can take whatever they want. But if that security system works the way it's designed to work, it should keep them on the outside and you safe on the inside. So this is a new way to say it, but this is essentially what Jesus is saying, is that there is a strong man, there is something that is powerful in the house that has legal right and legal access to be here, unless that unholy power is actually pushed out by a holy power, unless that unrighteous power is pushed out by a righteous power, it has reason to be there. But once that is bound, then again, it can be engaged in this way. Jesus is saying that there is an unholy power or a strong man, an open door, a place where the enemy is attacking from. And attacks of the enemy can look like afflictions. I'm going to share about those in just a moment. Um, but they can also in our lives, the attack of the enemy can not just look like an affliction, something happening to us. But oftentimes or sometimes they look like invitations for you or I to take the bait. For you or I to bite into something that we shouldn't bite into. To get into, and here's one of the metaphors that I want to use today. And I pray you hear me with both ears and your whole heart, whether you're here in the room or whether you're at home in your house. An invitation is this. It is to get into a ring where the moment you step into that ring, the outcome is the body of Christ loses every single time. I'm going to say that again. The enemy often tempts you and I to get into a ring where the moment you step into that ring, no matter the outcome, no matter the outcome, the body of Christ is already lost. And why? Is a ring is for opponents. It is for winners and losers. It is not for brothers and sisters in Christ. 
A ring is for winners and losers, not for brothers and sisters in Christ. And so again, if you and I get into unholy rings, it doesn't really matter the result, who wins or who loses. The outcome is already the body of Christ is weakened. A better visual, though, for Christian disagreement is not a boxing ring or a MMA ring or a fighting ring. A better visual for Christian disagreement is accepting God's invitation to sit at his table in his house. We see this in Luke chapter 19 with a son that is prodigal that runs away. And when the son returns, the father restores him to his house and seats him in a party or at a table. And then he has an older son who he goes out and he entreats to come into his house to sit at a table. Now, if you read Luke chapter 19, you will know that these brothers are at odds. But the father is entreating them to come into his house and to work out their differences around his table. Everyone say his table. It's not my table, it's not your table. So when we take communion every single month, which we're gonna be bringing back in September in person, but when we do communion every single month, we are reminded that we are welcome to God's table, not our table. It's his table. And this is a better picture than a ring that you and I engage in. And why do I say that? Because sitting at a table, sometimes you're sitting side by side, hug by hug. And other times you're sitting across the table. And sometimes you need a little bit of space. And so you're sitting at opposite ends at the table. But here's the beautiful thing. You're still at his table. You and I need to fight the good fight of faith. We don't need to fight these other types of faith where, again, you and I can have disagreement around God's table. And so I just want to say this, and then I'm going to keep moving. When it comes, when it comes to passionate disagreements, place is as significant as position, okay? When it comes to passionate disagreement, place is as significant as position. Sometimes it's simply the wrong place to fight this out that we need to look at, not just that we have different positions. Um, has anybody here ever read a, some, something someone put on Facebook or Instagram or social media, whatever it happens to be? Has anyone here ever re puts, read something, just one quote, one line or whatever, and your life was forever changed from that moment forward? Or if you felt totally this way about something, you saw one quote and your life was forever changed. Can I see your hands, please? Hands, please, hands, please. Okay, has anybody here on social media at all ever seen something that makes your blood boil? Can I put, see your hands, please? May I just say as followers of Christ then, maybe we, it's not just our positions that are different, but we have to figure out better places to have these engagements? I digress. On another occasion, Jesus described what happened when you and I are set free. And once again, he uses the example of a house. And he says this, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, okay, so the unclean spirit now, the strong man has gone out of a person, it says it passes through waterless places, waterless places, deserts, okay, seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return, ooh, ooh, read this. The unclean spirit is cast out of a person, and what does it say? I will return to my house. It's not your house. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You and I are bought with a price. Our bodies are no longer our own, but when we give legal access the demonic takes up resident that this is my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes with put in order is understanding authority. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. So we see there that there's actually rank and differences of evil. There's more reprobate. There's more degrees of lostness, so to speak. And they enter and they dwell there. And the state and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So all through the scriptures, we see that wilderness and desert are places of trial and temptation and refinement. The battle is twofold. How many of you know there's always a battle for freedom and there's always a battle to remain free? 
Always two battles, to get free and to remain free. And Jesus said that the enemy's intention, all demonic intention towards your heart, your life, your marriage, your family, your workplace, your nation, our province, that the enemy's heart is always what? He says right here, it is worse than the first. It is always worse. It is always for you to go into a downward spiral. It is always for you to be left in a worse state than original. This is always the disposition of the enemy for us. Now, Jesus, on the other hand, his heart towards you is abundant life. His heart is who the sun sets free, is free indeed. And again, living an abundant life isn't just being found by Christ, it is also then being set free in Christ. Those two things are really important. And then it is living a life on mission to see others found and free in Christ, the way Jesus ransomed you and gave you a gift of his grace. So it's for you and I to live on mission, this great commission that he gives us. is for us to fulfill this great commission that the first followers of Christ, in order, I should say, to fulfill the great commission, the first followers of Christ were told to wait together in, guess what? A room of a house. They were told to wait together, wait together, wait, wait, wait. Now, the first followers of Jesus, when they were told to wait, they had the cross, they had the resurrection, they had the entirety of the law in the Old Testament, they had the stories and the parables of Jesus, but that wasn't enough because Jesus said to them, wait, 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 wait. There's something that you don't have. And then is that you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You have to be absolutely filled. So I want you to wait in a house together. And they did it. They needed to be filled, from, filled with the Holy Spirit. So here's what's so important when you look at spiritual conflict. And what Jesus just said, the goal of spiritual conflict is not just that the enemy is pushed back from your life. That's not it at all. If we stop there, the enemy will come back with seven other friends and your life can be in a worse state than you first found it. The goal of spiritual conflict is not just the enemy is pushed back. It is wherever the enemy is pushed back, the Holy Spirit takes up occupants and residence and fills up those places in our hearts and our lives and our behaviors and every facet of our character and our disposition. Here's what is true about every single one of us. Every single one of us are being formed and fashioned to look more like Jesus if we're followers of Jesus because we all have deficiencies in our character and our nature that don't look like Jesus. They look like us and we need to die to those things so that Christ can continually be formed in our hearts and lives. But here's the thing about God that is different. Some of you incorrectly think about God and we want to correct it according to God's word. Some of you think about God incorrectly and let's touch on that just for a quick moment here. Oftentimes we think about like, well, there's God and there's Jesus and there's Holy Spirit over here on this level. And then there's like Satan over here on this level. Mm -mm -mm -mm. There is God on this level and then everything else created on this level. Satan is a created being. He's not unequal. Don't ever put him in equality with God. Don't ever do that. That is actually seeing him too high than he is. Okay. So there's God, and then there's the rest of it. Here's what's the thing. We trust one another, and sometimes we lose trust in one another because we behave differently towards each other. But here's the thing about God's character. God behaves according to his character every single time. So there's never a moment in your life where God is not loving you because God is love. 
There's never a time in your life where God is not acting in a manner that is holy towards you because God is holy. In God, there is no shadow. There's no variation. There is no change. So he's the most trustworthy one. And here's what Jackie Hill Perry says that I agree with wholeheartedly. If God cannot sin, which he cannot sin because he's holy, should he not then be the most trustworthy being on the planet because his affection towards you never changes and his heart towards you is only good. The same cannot be true about the enemy who masquerades differently to deceive us. So oftentimes when you and I think about God, we like, oh, I like the God of the New Testament, but I don't really like the God of the Old Testament. Or some of us think about God the way we think about desserts. Like, I like this dessert, but I don't like this dessert. Don't think of it this way. God is who God says he is. And so even when we don't understand it, don't ever fall into the trap of saying, God, if you loved me, you wouldn't be doing X, Y, Z. No, God is always moving in love because it's who he is. Okay, let's keep going. Here they are, 120 in an upper room. They have the, res- the cross, the resurrection, the Old Testament, the stories, the parables, but they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says to them, and while staying with them, he ordered them, that's also language of authority, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water. That's coming up. If you've never gone through the baptiz- waters of baptism, please sign up today. Again, whether here at home, we're, we'll facilitate it in a COVID-safe manner. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In other words, you need to be filled up afresh with the Holy Spirit. Every single one of us need to be filled one time, but we need constant infilling. And why do we need constant infilling? Because we leak. Life is hard. We go through stuff that pulls stuff out of us. I go through things all the time where I'm like, oh, Lord, help my unbelief. Oh, Lord, you know, give me some faith here because, oh, boy, boy, boy. I wish I could always say my faith was in fully trusting in Jesus, but I trust in a lot of other things sometimes. And they shake and they get pushed over and I realize, ah, my faith is actually in that, not him. Oh, Lord, help me in this moment. Right? All of us do these things. And a few weeks later with this 120, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, everyone say Suddenly. Haven't you ever noticed that God's definition of suddenly is different than yours? My definition of suddenly is now. My, God's definition of suddenly is on my timeline. And I've always known that my timeline is very different than God's. Very, very different from the Lord's. And suddenly they, were in, they, they came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled, everyone say filled, It filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. If you think back in the Old Testament, there was this pillar of fire that led the children of Israel, right? Okay? It was a singular pillar that they all all followed. Now in the book of Acts, though, it says these little little pictures of fire were on each one of them because it's not just God out there. Now it is God in here. Same picture, same heart, same God. And they were all filled. Everyone say all filled. The men were all filled. And the women were all filled. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so for Jesus, the antidote to an attack of the enemy, experiencing a worse state assignment of the enemy, is to be filled and constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. And so with some specific ways, here are some specific ways that the enemy desires to afflict our hearts. And I'm going to go through them in kind of rapid succession. Um, The first way that the enemy always wants to afflict our hearts is when we sin, our primary response to it is to hide or to cover it up. 
Uh, but the Holy Spirit convicts and reveals, not because he isn't loving, but because he is. Oftentimes we can feel it differently. Like, well, the enemy's more loving because like, then he's not going to expose me or embarrass me, or I don't have to confess it. I don't have to actually say what I think, feel, watched, clicked, all of these things. Like, that's like, oh man, it would be so unloving to be exposed. Mm, no, 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 no. That wouldn't be unloving because that's how the enemy gets a stronghold. No, the loving thing is to confess it, to bring it into the light so that you and I can be free. I love this. This is Justin Gibney. He says this, the, de- the deconstruction of Christianity is trending today, but it isn't new. American slaveholders also deconstructed the Bible for their own purposes. And then he says this, which I think is very insightful for all of us today, especially if you're going through a time of testing and trial. Make sure that you're deconstructing idols and false teaching, not simply carving out exceptions from the scriptures for your brokenness and for sin to thrive. Most deconstructing we see today is merely just, I want to do what I want to do, I want to engage what I want to engage, and I want my brokenness and my sin to thrive. That is not holy deconstructing, that is unholy deconstructing. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and doesn't come to the light. These are the words of Jesus. At least his work should be exposed, but whoever does what is true comes to the light, that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So we can hide and we can cover up sin. That's one of the ways the enemy wants to attack and develop strongholds in our lives. The other way the enemy attacks our lives is to disrupt God's working in your life, disrupt what God is doing. This can look like good things becoming ultimate things, blessings become idols, Uh, they can tempt us to make unwise decisions, can create relational problems out of absolutely nothing. Um, The enemy can disrupt what God is trying to do in our lives, the demonic can absolutely do that. Um, Every two weeks when Lori and I get paid, it is a step of faith to tithe full 10%. It is a step of faith to engage it every single time. Why? Because I want the Lord, I I steward 100% of what he gives me. All he asks me for 10, but all of it is his. I'm not an owner. I'm a steward of everything in my life. And so it's always this place to trust. It's always, it never gets old to trust. It never gets old to engage these things with our whole heart. But there's always, the enemy always wants to take something that's good and make it an ultimate thing. Something that God even blesses us with that actually becomes something that we serve. He always wants to tempt us to return to bondage. I want to say it again. God may have set you free somewhere. As I said a few minutes ago, there's a battle to be free, and then there's a battle to remain free. And the enemy will always tempt us to turn back to Egypt or to turn back to what God has set us free from, to return to a previous bondage. Uh, The demonic are primary agents of temptation. It's what they do. And they tempt us in areas or particular areas of vulnerability. Everybody say, not kind. If you're in the chat, just write the words, not kind. Okay, not kind. Once again, the enemy's heart, the demonic's heart, is never kindness towards you. And so when you and I are being tempted, it is always for a worse state purpose. Rob, kill, steal, and destroy. The ultimate is destroy. That is the worst state, not just stopping with Rob. It is this downward progression that the enemy desires to do in our hearts and lives. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and here's what it says. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't submit again. Don't come back under what Christ has set you free from. Don't serve 
what you're not called or who you're not called to serve. And so how do we stand firm against temptation? Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 7 says, but I, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Everyone say, walk. Okay, walk by the Spirit. That's an active thing that we do. And you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. This war is not just out there. It's in here are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Okay, so that's another way that the enemy can attack our hearts and lives. Rapid fire as we're going through them. Another one is to get our lives beholden into something called the spirit of fear. Never to be confused with the emotion of fear. How many of you know that you cannot be set free from the emotion of fear because it's a good thing? Okay, there's things that you and I should be frightened about or should be concerned about because they're, they're, you know, it's like when you tell your kids, like if you, your child just runs out on the road because they have absolutely no idea, like that's, don't do that. That's like, oh, what are you doing right there? That's not a good thing to do. Like that's, that's a good thing. But there's a difference between a spirit of fear and a spirit of fear is an unhealthy fear predicated on an incorrect perception And so think of all the horror films that are out there. They always portray darkness as more powerful than it truly is. It is powerful, no question. But here's what 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like. Everyone say like. It doesn't say that the enemy prowls around as a roaring lion. It says he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. His behavior is like a roaring lion, but he isn't a roaring lion. Church, there's only one roaring lion, and he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. His name is Jesus. So the enemy masquerades in a way that he isn't powerful, but his roar is louder than his bite. And it produces a spirit of fear that is larger than what is actually occurring. Now, as I said last week, I'll say it again this week. You and I, in our own strength, are no match for the enemy. He is too powerful. But you and I, positioned in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, then the enemy is no match for not just us, Christ in us. Okay? It's absolutely critical. Which leads into this one. Another way the enemy attacks our lives is deception. It's a major weapon. There is pleasure in sin. There really is. Until there isn't. There's a lot of pleasure in sin until there isn't. There's a lot of pleasure in the first click, maybe, of pornography. Until it becomes a bondage that you cannot get free from no matter how hard you try. There may have been pleasure in sneaking out as a teenager and having that first sip of alcohol and perhaps not so much when it grabs a hold of our lives or on and on and on. There is pleasure when you talk about somebody who's not there and your friend says, yeah, what a jerk they are. And it feels really good when they're on your side until you can't stop your tongue and you only speak words, you mostly speak words of gossip and not words of exhortation, edification, and building up. And so the resulting end goal is that people no longer trust you and want to be in relationship with us. There is pleasure in sin until there isn't, so it's deception. As we shared last week, If you have a relational wound in your life, and I should not even say the word if, because if you are breathing air as a human being, you have relational wounds. We have been wounded and we have wounded others, every single one of us. 
None of us do relationships perfectly. There's never been a person on the planet outside of Christ. And even he, though he did relationships perfect, spirit still experienced relational wounding. Relational wounds, when we have them, we are tempted with relational iniquity because the enemy knows it's a worse state thing. It leaves us in further brokenness. Where we have sexual wounds in our lives, the enemy will always tempt us to fix those things with more sexual immorality or more sexual iniquity, whatever it happens to be, because he knows this creates further brokenness. And even when we have family wounds, which we all have, he will tempt us to live into false identities because this too creates further brokenness. Another one way in which the enemy attacks our lives is hindrances. Hindrances. Second Corinthians chapter 4, 4 says that the demonic can hinder unbelievers from actually believing in Jesus. So when you're sharing Jesus to someone who doesn't know Jesus, here's all they want you to know. It's not only natural things that you're doing, but there is a spiritual conflict occurring the moment you're engaging that. When you begin to share words of truth, there's a demonic that actually wants to blind the mind of the unbeliever so that they cannot see, that they cannot hear, that they cannot perceive. It's not merely natural, it is absolutely spiritual. So you and I, when we're sharing the gospel, need to be doing two things. We need to be talking to the person and we need to be talking to God on behalf of the person. That's called intercession because it's not just natural. Hindrances. But hindrances are not just there. Hindrances, we can be hindered to pray. We can be hindered to read our Bibles. We can be hindered to engage spiritual disciplines. Uh, how many of you have ever noticed that there's a different battle to get to church on Sunday than there is to get to work on Monday? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed if you sign up for something, for example, in church, like that every single week at that exact time, you're exhausted? And it's a battle. You sign up for a life group, and then every week at the life group time, you're like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go. I never have that when I sign up to go golf, ever. <laughs> never. Never had it. No, don't at all. There's never a wrestle. It's amazing. I can set a tea time at 6.05 in the morning, and I get up ready to go. But I set a time to get up at 6.05 to pray. Ooh. Seems as though the demonic doesn't really care how well I hit a golf ball. But the moment that I bend my knees to begin to engage God, they can hinder. Church, they can hinder. All right? The enemy can also harass. Okay? The demon, demonic doesn't seem to harass Christians equally, but each Christian is harassed. We see this in an instant where Jesus is teaching in the synagogue and he's just getting barked at, you know? And it's like, just harass. Um, the other one here would be accusations. The enemy always speaks half-truths, which again are whole lies. It's their native, the enemy's native tongue is deception. It's accusation. He's the accuser of the brethren. They entice us to gossip. Um, rumors, gossip, slander, false witness. All of this is the language of darkness, the language of the enemy, speaking words of death and not life. I, I agree, especially in this time and season, I agree with Derwin Gray, who said this. I'd rather be criticized for building bridges than cheered from blow, for blowing them up. Church, don't get into any ring where the outcome is only loss for the body of Christ. Let me say it again. 
Don't get into any ring where the outcome is only loss for the body of Christ. Whether it's online or in person, don't get into any ring where the outcome is loss. Even if you win, it's still loss. Don't get into rings, but let's sit at tables, even if we have to sit at opposite ends of the table, far, far from each other, because we can't stand each other. Let's still sit at his table at opposite ends and work our chairs to be a little bit closer together. In this season, have an opinion. But can I caution you pastorally, please? In this season, have an opinion about whatever you want to have an opinion about, including the pandemic, including vaccinations, including all these things. Have an opinion, have an opinion. But be mighty careful that a divisive spirit doesn't get a hold of your heart because if you don't think a portion of this is spiritual, you're blind. I'm not saying all of it is. That goes to last week's message. Don't make all of it. But there is a divisive spirit that wants to separate couples, families, relationships around something that is important but not ultimate. Is it critical? Absolutely. Is it ultimate? No, not at all. All right? Just be mindful. Have nothing to do, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 23-25 says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, because you know that they just breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Everyone say, everyone? Oh, man. Be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting your opponent with gentleness. Uh, I wanted a sledgehammer. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And so let's wrap up here. Something Jesus' brother shared about how do we resist these demonic attacks and these invitations into our lives. Jesus' brother, James, says this in James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Oh, beautiful. Before you try to resist the enemy, make sure you're submitted to God. Submission is the language of authority. Make sure that you're submitted to God so that you're fighting the enemy and resisting the enemy in the authority you have in Christ and not an inferior or an unholy power. Okay? It's not how strong you are this way. It's how strong we are in Christ. How positioned we are. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. And guess what? He'll flee. Doesn't mean, though, he won't come back. He'll come back again and again and again and again. And he won't fight fair. He'll attack you at your lowest moments. Because his disposition towards you is never love. It's never kind. Resist the devil and he will flee. Then it says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Submit yourself to God. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Come walk in the light. Walk in the Spirit. These are active things that we do again and again and again every single day. And finally, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Why do we share all this this morning? Because we don't want you, whether you're here or at home, we don't want you to be outwitted by Satan if we are not ignorant of his designs. And so kind of on a ground level, that's what we talked about today. On a ground level, here's how the enemy attacks every single, not all at once, but this is how the enemy attacks. Next week, we're going to move from the ground and we're going to move to where he resides, which he's the power of the prince of the air. And we're going to look at how he attacks us at a higher level. But this week, we're going to go here. So together, let's stand. Let's take a moment and our prayer point for this week as we are walking, saying, Lord, you're welcome here. Lord, you're welcome here. Together this week as we're praying, let's pray for freedom over ungodly habits, sin, character issues for ourselves, our families, 
and our neighborhoods. Let's pray for these things. Galatians chapter 5, I read earlier in the message today, but you can read it. That's the prayer point for this week. Together, let's pray. Father, we don't want to be ignorant of the enemy's schemes. Like we talked about last week, we don't also want to live with a Satan-word view. Lord, we want to see who we are in you, but then again, not be ignorant. And so, Father, that which the enemy is trying to conceal, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, may we open our hearts to you to reveal, God, what you need to reveal. Father, is there something today that we need to confess? Is there something today that we need to bring into the light? Is there something today, Lord, that even though it might be embarrassing, Father, that we need to know that your heart towards us is only love. Lord, is there a stronghold in our life? A place where we have given the enemy legal access that he needs to be bound so that he can stop rob, robbing, killing, stealing, and destroying that which you, Jesus, purchased and provided through your precious blood. Father, we pray today Holy Spirit, that you'd fill each of us up. Fill us from the top of our head to the soles of our feet, God. Lord, as we confess, the moment we confess, Father, would you fill that space with your presence, with who you are. And lastly, Lord, I thank you that your word says that we can hear your voice. And so, Lord, teach us to sharpen our hearing, to follow you, even though where you lead is more difficult often, and often it, the road is narrow. It's narrow. This week, God, help us to be more like you by exposing the where the enemy is attacking in our lives. In your name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you for those of you at home for joining us. Pray you have a wonderful day. God bless.